With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Great Iron Blitz right here on Apple Podcasts and uh, Block Talk Radio. Your host, Oscar Lopez. A little bit under the weather, so my voice is going to be a little bit off. Um, but other than that, uh, we got a great show lined up today. In the house, we have Seattle Majestics uh, CEO, Cindy Butthouden, uh, uh, and we also have coach of the Seattle Majestics, Scott McCarran, who will be coming on here in a couple minutes to talk about Seattle Majestics football, the shift to the IWFL, and their off-field um, things that they're doing to uh, enhance the brand. I'm also going to talk about college football, which is in uh, down to like eight teams now. So it's a big debate as to who gets in, who gets out. Uh, big time, you know, <laughs> committee debates now. Uh, it, this is just kind of like uh, watching some sort of TV show where you you figure out who you're going to vote for and stuff. So the committee's got a lot of work to do there. They want to talk about week. Uh, 12 in the NFL, and the bombshell news that just came out like a couple hours ago where uh, former two-time Super Bowl champ of the New York Giants, Eli Manning, is benched, <laughs> if you can believe that. Um, so we're going to talk about that too as well. And then we'll dive into the playoffs in Gridiron Queensland where Kristen Moran and the Bayside Ravens get ready to take on Amanda Errors and uh, Cassie Cubis of the uh, Griffith Thunder in the final of the Sun Bowl. It's going to be streamlined uh, live stream via um, live stream on in uh, pretty much everywhere you can get it. So it's going to be great. You can catch it pretty much on the live stream. Um, so let's dive into um, my co-host here, uh, college football guru Troy Wilson and uh, the WFA All-Star Holly Custis. Okay, Holly and, and Troy, um, if you're Eli Manning, I guess you could be in tears right now. Uh, I mean, the whole entire season really is full of tears for the Giants, and you know, as I said, and I bet, before, I bet every Jets fan agrees with you right now. <laughs> I, in my opinion, Eli is the worst quarterback that ever went to Super Bowl. So, yeah, I don't think he was that great to begin with. Um, so no sympathy from you. Wow. No. He was in tears. No, he was almost in really... tears today. <laughs> This season really rough, and then you know, to to be fair to him, their offensive line is is pretty bad this year, so they're not doing in doing him any favors. And then with uh, Odell Beckham in and out of the lineup, he was kind of his safety blanket, and and I think teams have kind of figured them out. Um, so no, I, I mean I'm not surprised at all. Troy, you got to be shocked that McAdoo has made this dumbass move. Late this late in the season, and we're going to go with Geno Smith. Well, honestly, here's the thing. Um, I, I think what the Giants are doing, 
on, you know, when it comes to their organization is is what they're trying to do is, is see what they have in Geno Smith. Um, honestly, I, I would probably, if I'm the Giants, I'll put in Davis. Uh, you, you invested a draft pick in him, so you might want to see what you have there. Um, I don't understand going with, with Geno Smith. I mean, Geno Smith is not going to be the future. He's not an investment. He's, he's, he has, he's signed to a one-year deal. He's a backup guy right now. So, I mean, if I'm the Giants, I'm putting in Davis. But I'm looking at it like this. The Giants this season, they lost four of their top receivers. They never had a running game to begin with. Their offensive line is, is, is an – you got five turnstiles and a pretty decent guard. Um, really, Manning has become the scapegoat. And what are you trying to save him from? It's not like he's going to be in your future plans. I mean, because the owners – uh, the Mara family, uh, they've already stated that they wanted to go ahead and move forward and start looking at guys on the draft. So I'm really trying to figure out what's the point, number one, of benching Eli, especially if Eli doesn't want to be benched. I mean, according to what Eli said was is that, um, you know, the coaching staff, they wanted to, you know, get these guys ready and have Eli start until these guys are ready. And Eli said, listen, if you want to start them, go ahead and start them now. There's no point in me trying to keep this going just for the streak. So kudos to him for that. But, listen, he doesn't have a whole lot to work with. I mean, this, this, that entire offense is just a shell of itself. Uh, the defense is sort of underperforming this year, although they've kind of, they've kind of gotten their uh, groove back, so to speak. But it's really not on Eli, in my opinion. I don't think Eli is, is, is kind of like what the Giants, try, Giants fans try to say, where he's like a Hall of Fame quarterback. I kind of agree with Holly and sitting back saying he is a tad bit overrated. But, man, this guy has a lifetime key to the city just for beating Tom Brady twice in the Super Bowl. But I, I really think that he has become the scapegoat of what's happening in that organization. He is the most consistent uh, guy out of there. And because his numbers are down, they're trying to blame him. But if you look at his supporting cast, this isn't on Eli. All right. So, Holly, let's go the other way. Smith playing good all year, and all of a sudden, uh, do we – Kansas City is starting to make a shift here, thinking that they, if they get the fan base, thinking that if they get rid of Smith, something else better will happen. But uh, we already knew that this was going to happen. We talked about how the Chiefs start hot, and all of a sudden they kind of derail a little bit. And here we are. We're at that point where they're starting to derail. Yeah, I mean, they came out of the gate ridiculously on fire. And I think um, it's really hard to, to keep that up through a 16-game season when you consider how many uh, injuries happen through the course of the regular season in uh, the NFL. So it's it's really tough to keep that up. So I'm not surprised that they have fallen off, but they've fallen off pretty hard. And I don't know if the answer is benching uh, ben, uh, Alex Smith or not. I think he's a really good quarterback. I, you know, I just, I think there's something missing on the offense as far as rhythm is concerned. Um, they have a lot of young talent, uh, exciting, explosive talent, and it just seems like something's off. And I think all the Chiefs really need is that one game to regain their footing and get that momentum back. I don't think the answer is benching Alex, but I understand that the um, the fan base for that uh, team is probably really antsy because their playoff chances are, are slipping by as we speak. Man, that's a... That's why I'm saying it's like uh, 
as a coach, Andy Reid, this is the guy that's brought you here this far to be a factor, not just a quarterback, I hope. But uh, And, and yeah, they have played some competition lately. So it's kind of like, like you said, they had it easy going, and all of a sudden they start playing you know, their division rivals once again twice. They start playing – you know, their schedule is starting to pick up where every, all these other teams are also focused on their playoff lives. So it, it's become tougher. It, it has, and they need to – be more consistent with their run game too. Last game they only had uh, 55 total team rushing guards against the Bills, and that's not going to cut it when you get deeper into the playoffs. If they want to make that playoff run, they need more consistency on that side of the ball, and I think that will open it back up for Alex when he, you know, rolls out on play action passes. I think he's he he needs that run game going for sure. All right, uh, Troy. Um, I don't. I know you don't want to talk about Eagles, but they're ranked number one. Uh, are they for real? Can they get deep oh. in the playoffs at this point? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, listen, this team right now is, is clicking on all cylinders. I mean, they already came into the season, in my opinion, had the best special teams in the NFL. They lost Darren Sproles, and that still hasn't changed anything on the defensive side of the ball. They've got Darby back after he dislocated his ankle in week two. And, you know, they were holding the fourth down before he got back. And now that he's back, they have a legitimate corner on that defensive side. On offense, I mean, what more can you say about Carson Wentz? I mean, the only thing that's keeping Carson Wentz from just get, being a runaway MVP is Tom Brady. Uh, Father Tom still hasn't caught up with that guy. So, right now, it's a two-horse race for the MVP Everything about the Eagles right now is clicking. Everything that they're doing is working. They're absolutely blowing teams out. And so you, you can't really say anything. You can't even really exploit a weakness on that team right now because they're just in such of a, a zone. And any team that goes up against them, they just look like they're having problems. So right now you have to put the Eagles in, 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 as the front runner in the NFC and maybe in all of the NFL as far as the best team in the NFL. I mean, of course, people in Pittsburgh, and you got people else up in the Foxborough and, and, and the New England area that they really want to have something to say about that. But man, I mean, you got to be impressed by what the Philadelphia Eagles are doing, whether or not you like them or not. And that's definitely in my case because I can't stand that team. But they are playing really great. All right, Holly, matchup on Thursday, very crucial uh, East matchup. It's Washington, Dallas. Uh, it's a must-win for both of them, based on the standings and everything else that's going on in the. Uh, in the East, so they're really playing for playoff positioning in you know, either in a wild card mode at this point, if anything. Um, so where do you see them for Thursday? I'm leaving uh, toward uh, Troy's Redskins, honestly. I think, like I said last week, uh, Dak really struggles without Ezekiel. Um, Dak is one of those young quarterbacks that without Ezekiel, he tries to do too much. He tries to force it. He tries to put it uh, too much on his shoulders. He doesn't trust um, the other running backs uh, behind his field to, to help him out. And when he forces it, he makes bad decisions. And so the Cowboys still have talent on that side of the ball, but they're definitely turning the ball over and not making the best decisions. And I just think the Cowboys are kind of lost. I think Ezekiel was kind of that linchpin of that offense, and without him, you would think they would be okay with who they have behind him, but it seems like it's more of a chemistry issue between him and Dak, and without him, Dak is struggling. And I think the Redskins have a lot of talent on the defensive line, 
and they're going to uh, make it difficult for him. And I think it might be an ugly game, but I think the Redskins are going to pull it out. I mean, you also have to look at why you have to you have to look at why why they're also doing that. And 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 just what Holly said. I mean, why why aren't they giving the ball to Alfred Morris? I mean, listen, his average per carry is is higher than Ezekiel Elliott's. So I'm not understanding why you're not giving that guy that. And he is a proven commodity in the NFL. He is an absolute NFL running back. He has great vision. Is he a great receiver out of the backfield? No, he's not. But, listen, carrying the ball is what we're talking about here, and they just haven't given him the ball enough, especially what you want to do is with that offensive line, even though they had Travis Frederick uh, – excuse me, not Travis Frederick. Um, uh, you had Tyron Smith who went down, and they got him back last week, and they still didn't run the ball. So you have to wonder what is what what, what is that off what is that team thinking when they go out there and they're trying to put the the ball in Dak's hands? Yeah, he was a rookie of the year last year, but listen, you can sell as soon as Ezekiel Elliott went out. Dak is not ready to carry that team. You got to run the football, and then also something that's not really talked about as much is Sean Lee being out. When Sean Lee is out of that out of that defensive huddle, he's not on that field. They just aren't a very good defense. Now, even if you have David Irving back there, who once he's come back, he's had six sacks. You got Dem- uh, uh, Demarcus Lawrence; he's leading the NFL in sacks. But as soon as Sean Lee went out, now they've become they've been rendered ineffective. That's the guy that stirs the drink on the defensive side. And without Ezekiel Elliott and Sean Lee, I just really don't think the Cowboys are a viable team right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think it's it, it's an issue there. And then uh, McFadden retiring uh, today. Darren McFadden decided to retire. Uh, I don't know if it's injury-related or just the fact that he just needs to walk out. But uh, great player, Raiders, and then obviously trying to finish his career in in Dallas. But uh, what do you guys' thoughts on McFadden? I mean, looking at that team in that huddle, could you blame him? (laughs) 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 I I mean, listen. Darren McFadden, listen, you know, all throughout his his career, he's kind of battled injuries. It's kind of been the same thing this year. Um, you know, and a lot of the NFL guys are looking around and saying, hey, listen, it, this may not be worth it. You know, I kind of want to be able to walk, when you know, when I get older. And he's accumulated enough injuries over the year where that becomes a concern. And that, not necessarily head injuries, but, you know, just in, in, in the, in the, um, in the lower body region. And so I think that may have been a concern on his part, and he just may have just felt like, listen, I'm just not ready to go. It's time for me to go there and hang it up. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think um, I think players nowadays, like like Troy said, um, they're thinking about their future more than uh, previous generations did. And I think, you know, even just as a player on my end, you have to evaluate every single off season and kind of do an inventory of your body and, and check to see where you're at year, year to year. And they have the benefit of, uh, you know, a lot of money behind most of their contracts. So it's easier for them to make that kind of the decision, understanding if they're smart with their money, that they're set up to, uh, you know, ha- have a jumping point for the rest of their lives. And, uh, so, you know, a lot of them, they get to a point where it's diminishing return and they're like, well, okay, well, you know, I've been through X amount of injuries and, and surgeries. Like, wh- what do I want to do? Is it really worth it at this point? And so I think, I think Troy's right. I think it, it just, 
the uh, risk out to weigh the rewards for him at that point, and he's he's stepping away. All right, guys. Um, you guys can go to Zazzle.com for all the Christmas gifts. Get the no-joke football gear at Zazzle.com for slash great on beauties. Check it out on our uh, Twitter feed, on our profile pic, and you can go to pretty much on our Facebook page as well. I want to thank everybody that's been able to purchase the form from us. If you have a No Joe Football shirt, um, go ahead and you know display it out so we can post it up on either Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Really appreciate everybody getting behind the project. Uh, the project dollars go to Spotlight, another talented player internationally or globally that plays women's American football, and that's our slogan, uh, women's American football, no joke football. So go to uh, Zazzle.com, for slash Beauties. Check out the deals for Christmas and uh, get your gear and get ready. All right. We're going to go in the huddle, obviously sponsor, uh, sponsored by Zazzle.com. We're going to go in the huddle with Seattle Logistics uh, coach, uh, Scott McCarron, and uh, CEO Cindy Buntowden, and they should be on the line here. Uh, Cindy, is that you? I'm here. Hi, Cindy. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, Scott, I, I believe you're on too. I'm here as well. Awesome. So, guys, uh, you guys all know Holly, and no stranger in your neck of the woods. Um, and then I have uh, Troy, Troy Wilson here, our college football guru. Um, that's our co-host here. So uh, we're going to pretty much, um, you know, start firing stuff at you guys. So uh, let's start. Uh, Cindy, the first question that we asked uh, Christina Carrillo and Heroku, but we'll ask you personally, um, why mm-hmm. shift from the WFA to the IWFL? Well, I think after a few years of being WFA, we realized that their their goal towards the future of women's football wasn't really matching what our mission and our goal was, and we really wanted to get women's football out there in the community and start at a younger age with younger children, and I think that the, the IWFL sees that importance. And, you know, even more so, we want to be fair to our players who are giving so much to this sport. We try so hard. To, to work so they don't have to pay to play this game, but they do. So we want to make sure they get the best out of it. And we just felt like they weren't getting that from the WFA. We wanted a, a league that was going to support the teams and the players could, across the board equally. And I feel like the IWFL was really the path for us. Cindy, um, out-of-pocket cost uh, is a big issue, travel costs and everything else. Mm-hmm. The WFA, yeah. because of the, the amount of teams, you know, 60-plus teams or whatever, more regionally based, closer, that means less travel costs. If you put the West Coast uh, IWFL model right now, there's going to be a cost for travel. Mm-hmm. So is that something factored in into the decision by, by shifting over? That was our biggest uh, issue. That was the one thing that was holding us up because, yeah, we are going to have to travel more and pay a little bit more to do that. But I think we really were able to get the teammates on board, and we're really going to put our foot forward this year with getting more sponsorships, getting bigger sponsorships, and to be able to get those sponsorships, we're, we're, we're giving them the opportunity to see our games streaming live, which gives them more opportunity to be exposed to the community, which means more business for them. So we're hoping that because we were able to start streaming games last year, we can get in more bigger sponsors and we can actually lower those costs for our players. But that was the biggest sticking point with us, and, and we're, willing, we're willing to take that on because we think it's just going to be a better, it's going to be a better season for our team overall. 
Uh, Cindy, marketing-wise, you you guys have done a tremendous job. I, I, was, I was talking about Chicago Force before, how they've done a tremendous job with their uh, you know website and marketing uh, key players week to week based on weekly mm-hmm. stats and based on the season. And I think that's kind of like what the game is missing because the fan cannot dive into an athlete uh, because they're yeah. just diving into – uh, you know, Seattle Majestics, but who are the Seattle Majestics? You know what I mean? So the fans have to mm-hmm. dive in. Like in Chicago, for example, you know, you, you, you knew what, who Sammy Grisofsky was. You knew who Jeanette Gray mm-hmm. was. You knew that those players were amazing players, and you wanted to go see them as a fan. So they represented mm-hmm. the force and not necessarily the brand, that the, but the player draw, uh, brought in the fan and then obviously loyal to the brand. So I think that's yeah. the key going forward is to try to um, showcase. And I think the, uh, the, um, the thing that Rebecca has been doing, you know, with the promos and, and the unveiling of your uniforms and everything else, sort of a starting point, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's the player, as you're saying right now, the commitment to the player, that's what's also going to bring the fan in because they're going to be able to relate to the on-field player or excitement that certain players on your team bring. Absolutely, and and Rebecca started last year uh, along with Colleen, who was also part of our marketing department. They started to do individual player profiles and started getting them online and on social media, and we got huge hits with our player profiles. So now people are starting to relate to the players and know who the players are and see their favorite players. So we're going to build on that this year, and we are going to market the players. We already have a whole website of, of, of merchandise you can buy that is player-specific. So you can wear your favorite player's shirt with their name and number on the back like, and like any other professional team, and I think that that's going to really appeal to the, to the fans this year. Now, Cindy, everybody will say um, if, if, you, if you buy a women's football team, they would say you're going to, uh, what, leverage the mortgage, go broke. What are you thinking? Mm-hmm. That's usually the mindset that everybody does when you, when you bring up the topic. But, uh, yeah. you know, your passion for the sport, you've played the sport, You've been at, at, in a, at an international level as well with the excitement, the growth of the sport. Was that mm-hmm. something that drove you to, you know, be, to be part of that CEO mentality where you're going to, you know, elevate, like you said, elevate not just the CEO Justice, but try to elevate the sport to a higher level of acceptance, more of on a professional level, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and just to clarify, the Majestics, I don't own the Majestics. We are a, a 501c3 nonprofit, so we are run by a board. But I am the CEO of the team. So it is a huge responsibility, and I'm extremely proud to, to take that title on. But like you said, it is more, it's, more than just, it's more than just running a football team. It's, it's, it's helping these women live their dreams and to pass it on to next generation, next generation. I started playing in 1999. So football is in my blood, and to see it grow over the years has been so amazing. So I want to keep pushing it. And even having the chance to participate in the Women's World Games and see how popular it is around the world, it's, it's just it's inspiring. I'm inspired by these women every single day, and to do whatever I can to push it forward, I'm absolutely going to do. Now the branding has changed for you guys over time, right? Black and red, and, right. and then you went to Seattle Seahawks-type colors. So is that what we're staying with now? Are we staying within the area mentality of the coloring within the environment of the area? Oh yeah, we wanted to we wanted to bond to Seattle Seattle sports colors, and I think we're going to stick with that. Yeah, it's working for us. (laughs) All right, so Cindy, I'm going to throw another thing out there. Molly uh, Goodwin, um, Boston Renegades, 
their owner bailed mm-hmm. on them, and obviously they had to start pretty much from scratch and build yep. up a community base as well. And she's done a tremendous job trying to merge or be relevant within women's sports in Boston. Um, are you guys doing similar things in terms of women's sports in your area, in terms of trying to attach yourselves either to, you know, an event or we are, we are. We have worked in the past with the Seattle Storm and uh, the Rain, the, the women's professional soccer team. We, the, the Rain have been great. They let us come to their games and set up a table at their games. So we've gotten their fans interested, and we were able to give out some, some uh, game tickets, and we saw a huge um, surge in, in our um, game attendance because of that. So slowly but surely we are connecting with the women's teams in our area, and, and it is happening. I think that a lot of people don't know we're out there. They just know that there's a Seattle storm and there's a Seattle rain, but now they're starting to realize there is a football team and we're all in this together. It's, it's not like the storm and the rain are, are making huge chunks of money either. So we're all in this together and we all just want to help women's sports. All right. So Cindy, um, tell us a little bit about um, how we got to Under Armour Unis. How did that come about? Uh, <laughs> Actually, I would probably pass that one off to Scott because he was he was the mastermind <laughs> behind that. So we're actually he, sometimes he does some really good stuff for us. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and at, at one point, wow. I think at one point you guys wanted to fire him and send him to Florida, from what I heard. So, but you found, <laughs> yeah. you decided to keep him. So we didn't talk about that. Yeah, we kept him. We kept him. I've been no, trying Scott, to get rid of me Scott for years. Is, <laughs> Scott and I are we we spend a lot of time together uh, because of football, and he's an amazing head coach, and I'm. I'm honored to coach with him and to be a part of this team. But, Scott, if you want to take it away for the Under Armour stuff. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'll say that I don't think it's um, – and I don't think there's, there's any, uh, any secret to, um, to, to kind of go on the Under Armour route. Um, we've been working with a local rep that um, have, have gotten – we've gotten gear through – uh, before and um, this year we decided, you know, hey, it's been a few years since we've redone, you know, since we've had our uniforms redone. Um, we talked as a as a board about whether, you know, whether we wanted to go a branded route um, or not. Uh, you know, look at Under Armour, Nike, Adidas, what have you. Um, and we just, I sat down with a local, um, our local rep here, said, hey, here's what I'd like to do. Um, you know, is there is there any way we can get connected with Under Armour? And through our rep out here, we got connected with with Under Armour and uh, worked out um, worked out a deal uh, for uniforms and kind of back end sponsorship for uh, for the organization. And uh, next thing you know, I was knocking on the knocking on the door of the board of our organization, saying, "Hey guys, um, you know this this could be a really good opportunity for us." And uh, what do you guys think? It's an expensive endeavor um, buying, uh, you know, buying uniforms brand new uh, for an organization. And, um, you know, we decided that it was the, the investment and the alignment with a brand that we all love um, would, would bring some professionalism, some notoriety to our organization. And I think making that move has done just exactly that. John, that con- the, the uni cost, obviously, it's a big factor. Like you said, big decision there. Um, is that something that is being talked about with the other IWFL teams as a brand, or is it just exclusively you guys starting out that first? Um, I, I think, uh, I, I, well, we made the jump before we were even um, in the IWFL. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's, been in the, that's been in the works for um, a couple months now. But 
Uh, I know Carson Bobcats have have made that jump as well. Um, I would not be surprised if it eventually goes that direction, um, but it hasn't been anything that was was talked about from a league level yet. All right, so Scott, the mud, the mud fight or the slugging between the surge and the WFA and the internal legal stuff. <laughs> You know, I mean, all that stuff that it was just like, you know, nothing that really happens in the off season since I've been covering women's football, and all of a sudden, you know, this stuff happens, and all, and we get shifted. Uh, a year ago, I will tell you, we all thought the IWFL was going to go bye bye and not to exist, and all of a sudden, we get an infusion of you know top quality franchises that have had winning programs all over the country. And then you get the opportunity where you got a San Diego Surge and a Seattle Majestic team now going up against probably the best team in the nation, which is probably the Utah Falcons, in in terms of record and you know and and accolades in terms of that league. Um, so now you are going to go up against uh, the Utah Falcons and Coach Rasmussen. <laughs> so it's going to be a pretty exciting ball. Yeah, I would I, um, I would say that I think the the WFA San Diego Surge um, fiasco, um, you know, I was on the board of representatives for the WFA up until um, our owners meeting uh, with the WFA, and I, I wasn't too involved in what was going on with um, all of that. And I don't think any of the board of representatives were, um, but I was surprised to find out that there was an actual legal case that came against the WFA and there was really no information that got passed on to the owners. Um, and so I just took it upon myself to find out what was going on, what was, what was being written about, what was being said in court documents. And I mean, I'll be very honest. I thought, I thought a lot of what was in there was um, a, a bunch of hearsay on both sides. Um but it still alarmed me at the um, at the processes or lack of process that was um, involved in the on the league side, which you know I, I don't want to get into from a legal perspective. That's 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 not for me to you know delve into. Yeah, no, I, I'm not. What I'm not even asking. Not even asking about that. I'm just I'm just saying how how you've shifted over some of that. It's sort of a black eye on the WFA in a lot of sense because you move San Diego over, they move out, then you guys turn around, you know, and then move in to the IWFL. Um, so just, I mean, just the, the bombshell basically in the women's game for this off season. I mean, to take the surge and to take yourselves and go into the IWFL, which, like I said, a, a while back we all thought it was going to go bye-bye because the WFA was growing so fast and adding teams everywhere. Yeah, we. Um, yeah, but, I would. Yeah. I would say we did too, Oscar. Um, with with I would. The the thing that I think really made us, and I'll speak I'll speak for our organization. Hopefully, Butsy chime in if if I say something out of line here. But um, <laughs> I I think one thing that made us really comfortable with moving over to the IWFL was the new executive council members that were in place um, uh, prior to the season. Uh, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with Hiroko over the years about women's football as a business in general. Um, and I think uh, Butsy has some history with Dana Sparling as well. Um, those two women are incredibly bright uh, 
business people. Um, and to have, to have those two, um, you know, plus an owner like Christina coming over from San Diego, um, and the yellow jackets owner, I'm forgetting her name off the top of my head, but, um, you know, to have, to have four really great business minded owners, um, involved at a high level in that league. And, um, I think that made us comfortable from a business mindset of making the change from the WFA to the IWFL. We feel the IWFL is in much better hands going forward from a business standpoint than what the WFA was. Uh, so it's great. We're totally excited about the move. Um, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that's kind of up in the area, like how you know how much is, where are we going to travel to, who are we going to play, uh, and all that's that's all unknown, um, and that's all all can be scary stuff. But the excitement about being able to play high level teams like that, the excitement about the how the how the league is set up from a business mindset. That the excitement about having Under Armour, um, you know, having us aligned with Under Armour, the excitement about the marketing that um, that we've done with with, you know, adding Rebecca and Colleen on. There's a lot more positives than there are negatives um, in terms of our future, and I, I don't think we could be any more excited as an organization for what we see, you know, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, and ten years from now. Yeah, Cindy. What is what is the board, uh, Majestic Board, at this point? Obviously, all these things happen, all positive. Uh, the travel cost is going to be an issue, obviously, for the season. But uh, where do you see yourselves, like, you know, or the IWFL at this point with this new grouping and new, um, I, w- I wouldn't call it a partnership, but, you know, an- another literally up-level up committee. Where do you see yourselves? Mm-hmm. You're, you're the CEO of Seattle. Obviously, you got Heroku. you got Christina, uh, all the other mm-hmm. owners in the IWFL. Um, Christina was talking about, you know, player first, as you were talking about earlier. And so that is a drive now. It's kind of a, a change mindset, as you were talking before, because that's never really been, since I've been covering women's football, it's never been in the States, that kind of mindset. It's always been, you know, hey, pay your fee, here you go, here's your schedule, run with it. And, right. and the player just basically has to fundraise pretty much all season. Even when you get to the playoffs, there's no reward. There's a, a probably mm-hmm. peanuts, as, as you want to call it. It's just a little bucket thrown in there to see if you can get to, you know, the the championship game. So if you're in Seattle, the, oh, by the way, the championship is in Pittsburgh. Great. <laughs> now mm-hmm. you got to travel all this, all this time. So um, that's usually been the mindset, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was just about, it was about playing the game. And these women, I would pay as much as I had to pay to be able to play the game. And that's just what it was about. And, you know, now we're understanding that we are getting some, some um, we're getting some attention across the nation. We're getting some attention around the world. People are understanding that these women aren't just women playing football. Oh, they're just playing football. That that's fun. That's cute. It's not. It's actually serious. There are so many women out there who play this game so well that I'm I'm stunned sometimes when I watch these games. We have some amazing athletes out there, and I think. Now that we're starting to see that and you can see how marketing these athletes specifically brings in more attention, it draws in more attention, it gives people something to focus on. I think one of the things that's really confusing about women's football is that there, there are two leagues. So some cities have two teams and a lot of people get confused as to where to go and who to look up and what, where, where are the games and who are the players. 
But now we're really starting to make a statement with these players that are amazing athletes, and they are starting to get their names out there. And we'd be crazy to not market them. I think that, that people like to connect with someone. We all have a favorite athlete, and we love to connect with them. We love to wear their jersey. So it's, it's kind of fun to actually be able to do that now and to have the luxury of doing that. And it does mean more work, and it does mean, you know, it gives you a little bit more competition on the team too because everybody wants to be the star, right? So they want to be the one that's selling the most jerseys or getting on posters, and that makes them work harder. And when you work harder, you're just benefiting the team. So I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's definitely a fun shift that we're seeing. Now on um, I, would, last I, would, year, I would add Oscar. Um, yeah, I would ahead. add to Butsy's. I would add to Butsy's comment that you know one of the things um, when we got involved with the team, one of the things that our mantra has been is that it is about the players. It has always been about the players. Um, I don't think that mindset will ever change as long as our the, the group that's on the board is involved with the team. Uh, we've always made it about them. Um, and we will we'll continue to do that. It's that's our driving force behind why we exist as an organization. So um, we're 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 not we are not uh, a board of representatives um, that is going to sit idly by and just you know go season to season to season. That is not who we are as individuals, and that's I think the makeup of the board is 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 perfect for you know, women's football team, we're going to push the gamut every year to do better and better and better. Yeah, and that's why my point is, and and you also have, like, internationally, uh, Cindy, internationally you have a lot of a lot of uh, cooperation out there internationally with, like, for example, in Queensland, they the men's squads support the women's and they do the live stream. Like, we're going to have uh, this coming Friday, which is the Sun Bowl uh, championship in Queensland, Last year, mm-hmm. uh, you guys, Everett Rain, for example, and, your, and you guys, uh, the Everett Rain did a pretty good job of live streaming some of their games. So, um, I mean, that's a key right there to get something live. Even if the fans can't be in the stands, they're able to either dive it in on, you know, on a live feed or a YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you also draw them in in that aspect of it, even on a small scale. Eventually it turns into, hey, I want to go see it live. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the point too, right? I mean, we're setting up these live streams on our own. It's not like we have huge television stations coming out to help us. We are doing everything that we can to get these games out there for fans all across the country and across the, across the world. But I can tell you, I, I know two people that live on the East Coast in Delaware that are huge Majestic fans, and they write to me all the time. They love that they could see the games online, and, and they want T-shirts, and they want hats. And it's just, I love that. I love that our brand has made it to the East Coast. So streaming the games is essential. I mean, that that is exactly what we need to do right now. Yeah, and we've got we've got a bunch of fans down in Australia with having Danny come over and play for us last year, and um, some a bunch of fans in Japan as well. Um, we had Emmy come and play uh, for us two years ago. Um, a lot of a lot of international followers uh, like to see our games webcast. I mean, they they'll they'll tune in to watch and. You know, I, we get messages from players that are over there. Hey, how can I come and play for Seattle? Uh, that's that's what we want. That's we want to have an international reach. Um, we want international players to want to come to Seattle to play and have a great experience playing for our organization. All right, so I will I'll send it out for you guys right now. I, I want to give a shout out to uh, Julie McComas because uh, she just blew up my Instagram when I put her up there on the uni <laughs> picture. So. Uh, <laughs> Two days and two days, over 400 likes, literally blowing mm-hmm. it up. So 
So, uh, man, can you say any hotter? She, she was hot. And it's like, and I mean, like, the union was cool. I mean, the, I mean, it was awesome. And uh, uh, Matt Ferris obviously did a great job with the shoot and, um, you mm-hmm. know, putting together all that as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that just your your new promo, look at that. I just, I posted it up there. We were talk, I was talking to Holly on uh, the toy last week or whatever. I mean, it's just like she's she's got a record. I don't know, I went back and researched, and the the next person that close to her was like 320 or whatever in two days, and she just blew it out of the water. So that right there shows you the uh, capability of uh, uh, Rebecca. <laughs> just blowing yeah, up, making it look good. Yeah, she is so, amazing. Uh, she has worked very yeah. hard for us. We're very lucky. Yeah, yeah Matt, she, Matt, she does a great um, job. You know, I'll give I'll give props to Matt Ferris too. I mean, you know, Matt has dedicated a lot of hours to our organization. Um, he's a great photographer to work with. I can't. I mean, I can't, just one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. Um, and he's really stretched. You know, some of the things that we can do uh, visually. Uh, Rebecca's added an element of that from a marketing perspective of well bringing her background um, into things, and this is this is just the tip of the iceberg for us. I can't, I you know, we have stuff that's brewing that Rebecca's working on that you know Matt is working on with us that will come out you know over the next year. Uh, this is this is gonna be some really cool stuff that, that hasn't been seen in women's football before. So, um, you know, like I said, we're, we're not an organization that's going to sit idly by. We're going to continue to push and push and push. You know, as a, as a social marketing uh, geek, uh, it's like, it's like uh, tingles, you know what I mean? Like it gives you like little tingles, like the capability. <laughs> that's the, what we want to hear. The amount of, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like a lot of people, when I started this uh, a while back, everybody said, uh, you can't do this. That was like the word for me. You can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I've, I've talked to Holly and says, you, you, do you, I get direct messages saying, do you make all this stuff up, to, you know, to, to put up on a Twitter feed? Sure I do. Of course I do. No, I don't. It's reality. You know, there is women playing international American football everywhere in every continent mm-hmm. now almost. Um, so it's, it's not like it's fake, you know, news or we're doing links that are not credible we try to do credible links, and that's the same thing with you guys. Like I'm saying, once you get the social media, the social media reach, once you, uh, the analytics portion of it gives you a lot of information to go with. Once you understand mm-hmm. all those, all that information and sit down and really look at it, uh, as you guys are saying right now, you know, you have an international reach that you probably didn't have before, but now you have an awareness of an international reach. You have an East Coast reach that you had no idea you had an East Coast reach. But you know, mm-hmm. if you do pro- if you do some sponsoring or if you, if you do some ad work, you know, on a low budget, um, something like that, you get to see that there is interest beyond your county and your beyond your state, and you do have well, yeah. fans that dive into your branding, and that's exciting. Yeah, and you have you have Oscar, you have, you know, I, I think one of our beliefs has been that, um, you know, if, if if you're an organization that doesn't have somebody in place that can do something like Rebecca can do, go find a Rebecca and don't settle until you found somebody that can, can jump on board with what your vision is as an organization and push the gamut like Rebecca can. Um, You know, we've been lucky that we've had Colleen uh, before and now Rebecca and those two really elevated our social media platform to a level that, you know, I mean, I would say we compete with the top teams in the country from a social media perspective um, and some some 
I would say uh, would recognize us as probably the top or one of one of the top two or three that are out there from a social media presence. Um, and that is largely done by having found people that know what the heck they're doing and can do it in a really professional, uh, fantastic way. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those, like, don't, if you're a team out there that is looking at going, hey, wow, how do I do what Seattle's doing? Go find a Rebecca. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. go find somebody that's, that's local um, that can buy into, and don't stop until you found that person. Um, and and just, just keep moving. All right, I'm going to pass it over to Troy here. Um, so Troy's going to shoot out some questions for you guys. So Troy's okay. our college football guru and big-time Washington Redskins fan. So, uh, Troy, yeah. shoot it out, buddy. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! Sorry, you don't. We don't. We don't see too many of us around. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Troy, are you on? You know what? I, I don't know if he caught off or not. Let me see here. Uh-oh. Maybe he fell out with excitement because there's another red. Well, no. Uh, you know what? It's been <laughs> crazy on the East Coast. Sometimes the 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 feed comes off and then it just doesn't work out. So. Let me uh, let me see if I can put it back on and then take them back on because sometimes the switchboard's just so awkward. Uh, Troy, you still on? No. Holly, is it? Are you on? I'm here. Okay. Hey. There we go. So you know what? I think I don't know if Troy dropped off or not. Uh, I don't see him on there. Um. So all right. So Holly, shoot away. Well. I think you guys talked about a lot of uh, great off-season things that uh, that uh, everybody's been working on. Um, I think I want to take it, uh, you know, more general and ask each of you uh, how you individually got involved in women's football and how you found it. Uh, do you want me go to ahead, start <laughs> Yeah, go for it. Um, I started – Back in 1999, like I said, I was I loved football my whole life. From the age of five, I was sitting in front of the TV, and I I knew what every penalty call was, and I was I was glued to that television. Football has just always been my passion. So when I heard that back in the day it was the WPFL when they were starting up, um, I actually made the team with the New York Sharks, and I played a season with them. And then Philadelphia finally got a team because I was living in Philadelphia. So you can imagine my commute my first year of playing football. Um, and I just, I loved it. From the moment I had that helmet on my head, just, that's exactly where I wanted to be my whole life. I always wanted to wear the uniform and I always wanted to be on the field. Um, I was lucky enough to play eight seasons and now I'm lucky enough to coach and to help run an organization. So it's just, it's always, football has always been my passion. And once you play that first game, and I think, Holly, you know what I mean? You're just never the same. You just love it more and more every day. (laughs) It's definitely addictive. I can speak for that. (laughs) Yes. Um, How I got involved with the Majestics was uh, my ex uh, wife found the Majestics and played um, as a running back for the Majestics um, her first year. And uh, the head coach, uh, Mike Talley, who was uh, you know, our, our previous head coach, um, he knew that I wanted to get into coaching football, um, much like Budsy football has been in, in my blood since I was a young age. You know, my I have stories of my aunt saying when I was, uh, you know, six and seven years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a football coach. Um, 
you know, it's always been in my blood that way. Uh, and he knew that, that I wanted to get into coaching and kind of took me under his wing. Um, he wasn't the first one to bring me on as a, as a coach, but um, he's the one that really brought me under his wing and became my mentor for football coaching and taught me pretty much everything I know to this day. Uh, and I got added on as, as a staff member a couple of years after um, my ex started playing and I've been here ever since. They haven't been able to kick me out despite Butsy's wishes. We've tried. <laughs> Man, you're hard to get hey, rid of. Wow. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> what uh, uh, is your favorite memory so far uh, being involved with the Majestics? Uh, that question for both of you. Oh, wow. Huh. It could be uh, funny. Um, it could be serious. You can make us laugh or cry. My favorite, well, I, I mean, my favorite memory of the Majestics, I kind of have two. And, I, you know, I moved here from Philadelphia about six years ago. So I played two years with the Majestics before I moved into coaching. So my, my first favorite memory was just taking that first practice with a brand-new team, with brand-new players. I didn't know anybody. I wasn't familiar. I was, I was, I'm not going to say I was a star in Philadelphia. I was an okay linebacker, but I was pretty popular. So, you know, everybody knew who I was, and it's kind of fun to say the name Butts, so let's be honest. Um, but coming out here and not knowing anybody, and just going to that first practice, and I just I felt so I felt so at home with this team. I mean, even back then, there was something about the Seattle Majestics that just they, they suck you in. You know, they make you feel like you're there with them and you have a purpose. So just that very first practice, I always felt at home. That's a great memory for me. And then my second one, of course, it was when I first got a chance to coach. Tally was still the head coach, my, and Scott, of course, was the offensive coordinator. And when I retired as a player, they welcomed me to the coaching staff. And to be able to say I was a coach was just, I mean, talk about getting the tingles. You, you just, it was amazing to be able to walk up and coach these players that I played with the year before and have them call me coach. I mean, that first time you hear that, it's just you never forget that. That's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. My, uh, I think my most favorite memory. I, I probably have two that I, that I remember most distinctively. Anyway, one would be um, when I was on the staff of the Majestics back in our black and red days, and we won the Tier Two Championship in IWFL. I think that was really my first official year as a coach on the team, um, and just being a part of that, uh, being a part of that organization, and how how successful we were um, then. Uh, number two would be, I, I remember when um, when we took over ownership of the organization and there was discussion about redoing the logo and redoing the colors. And for weeks I heard, um, you know, complaining or just nervousness about um, what that might look look like. And I think one of my favorite memories was getting to show the new logo and new colors uh, to the organization for the first time and the incredible amount of excitement that, that and happiness that people had about, uh, about that um, was really super cool because there was a, a sense of nervousness about, you know, a changing of the guard people, you know, people moving on because colors were changing, logos were being updated and it just, they're like, no, we don't want the old, um, the old look to go away 
because it, it was held near and dear to them. But I feel like we kept a little bit of the of the old with adding a new, you know, new and improved twist to it. And it really just kind of said, okay, we're on the right path. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but um, it, it was one of those moments where I was like, we're going to be okay. You know, we're going to be okay as an organization. And I think the players kind of got on board and saw, hey, there, there's a, there's a bigger a bigger picture to this, um, and and we can kind of see a little bit of the glimpse of that vision going forward. So I'd say those are probably my two my two most favorite memories. Well, those are good ones. Um, uh, I think the other question I would have is uh, obviously the organization's been doing a lot of hard work in the off season. What do you think we need to do? Uh, as a sport to progress in the future? Oh, boy. I think as a sport, um, I think the women are doing what they need to do, play play hard football because that's what brings people back. That's what impresses them. Um, but I think as organ- separate organizations and separate teams, you know, Seattle's doing it right. I, I think that our staff, our board, our coaching staff, none of us get paid to do what we do. We do it because we love it but we are pushing every limit that we can to try to get exposure, to try to get out there. And I think if, if all the teams can try, like Scott said, try to find a Rebecca and get their names out there, they would be so surprised how much attention they would get. It takes a little work and it takes a little time and you just got to dedicate yourself to it. But I think once there's a sort of model that, that the teams can follow and a league can follow and it's more consistent across the board from state to state, I think that's what needs to be done to get the attention to the sport. And also, like I said, bring it to the, to the girls that are younger, that are interested in football. Give them the opportunity to play because if some of us had the opportunity to play when we were younger, oh, man, we would, it would be incredible to watch us play now. But some of us are learning in our 20s or 30s, and it's, it's a little bit harder. <laughs> so, so those would be my two things, I think. Um, I would say I think from a women's football perspective, there is a lack of professionalism that goes on uh, throughout all of the leagues that are out there. Uh, And not at the league level, I mean at the team level. Um, You really have to operate an organization um, as a professional business, with the key word being business. And I think that there are too many teams that are out there that do not operate from a business mindset. They're former players, former coaches, current players, current coaches um, that are just disenchanted with uh, their team that is, you know, 15 minutes away and they decide that they want to start a new organization um, that they can do, that they can do it better. Um, But a lot of those organizations that are started are done because they're disenchanted with their current organization uh, and they're really, there's really no business mindset behind it. So the one thing I would say is the owners have to get real. Um, they have to start operating as a business entities, all of them, um, or our, our sport is never going to advance. Um, and, and people don't like to hear that, but it's true. This is, I think this is one of the reasons why we were so excited about being aligned with organizations like San Diego and, and Utah. Is those, and then there's a bunch of other teams that are out there, but those teams get it. Um, they have business mindsets. And to, to, to be involved with organizations like that that, um, that, can, that have structure in place, that have organization um, 
with that throughout their their franchises. Uh, that's what needs to happen. Um, I'm I'm not into the whole we have to have one league and all that. That that. that the one league thing to me, I think, is a misnomer. Uh, it sounds all great. Yeah, we have to support the uh, women's game just as one. We have to be unified. And that, that sounds great. But I can tell you that there are, you know, 20 Tier 3 teams that are in the WFA that were not helping us as a from a business perspective. So um, I, I really think that if, if more teams were, were built structurally that way, uh, that I think it would help elevate the the women's game long term, and I know that's not going to be a popular thing to say, and I'll probably you know get hate mail, but <laughs> I think I think it's hate true. mail, Scott. You get hate mail, and then shocking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I was public enemy number one in the WFA for a few months there. <laughs> wow, that's got that's going to make you feel good in some way. No, not really. But I'm just um, kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, you know what I mean, it, 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 and that's what it is. Uh, I think uh, I've talked about it. We've talked about it in previous shows when you've come on. Uh, it's a recreational mindset versus a business mindset. It's really what it is. Yep. Do you want to be a YMCA yeah. or do you want to be a true business? One's yeah. for profitability and growth. The other one is just sustainability and opportunity. You're giving somebody an opportunity yeah. to play a game. That's flag football. That's flag league. Where the other one, yeah. uh, if you have a true business person or a true business mind person, you're really looking for a stability and growth. And then, um, as Cindy was saying, that stability and growth eventually will uh, be able to afford the player less cost. Less, less cost means happier player. Happier player means on-field uh, play is going to obviously increase. And then fanfare comes with that. Yeah, and I and I think Oscar, I think the the mindset. Um, not, I don't think a ton of players have this, but I think that there's a small group of or small percentage of players that are out there that think, you know, hey, we should be paid. That's great, but but there's there's no marketing money coming into most of these organizations, which means that the organizations that exist out there, unless you're independently wealthy and you have you know a hundred thousand dollars that you want to throw at players every year the players aren't going to get paid. So the unfortunate side of things is that that money doesn't exist right now. Um, but I can tell you there's a group up here in Seattle, an organization up here in Seattle, whose driving force is to get to a point where we pay our players. Um, and that was and I think Christina's, about. Christina's model is a good model because I think your employer mentality, which is – even if you don't yeah. give a player a paycheck, you're able to afford them some sort of support and system or some sort of, you know, a hand, lend a hand. When they get a major injury, they're going to be out of work. That's going to affect their home life, et cetera. Yep. But you, you give back something for them to get back on their feet. Uh, I don't think any player that plays American football doesn't understand that at some point or another you're going to have a devastated injury. And if you don't have one, cross your fingers because obviously, you know, great for you. But at some point there's every player has gone through some sort of injury. And so that's, yeah, that's I, the risk that happens. And so it's, it's nice that you have, like you're talking about, it's nice that you can have a board that obviously focuses on that. Well, give them back because we already know that, uh, you know, the money isn't there obviously to pay the player out, but it's nice to have something where uh, you give a hand out, you know, give an upper, like give them a hand when they really need it on a severe issue uh, that's going to affect, obviously, their livelihood as well. 
Yeah, it it takes a lot of work to run, you know, an organization as uh, you know, and Cindy and I have been at this I don't even know how many years it is, Butsy, but um, you know, we've been this been at this for four or five years now. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy, um, to run an organization. Quite frankly, a lot of people go can go through burnout, um, at various times and uh, you know, I think if you have the support group around you from other like-minded business people on other organizations that can help kind of, you know, they're, they're carrying some of the weight of the league growth, um, that it, it helps kind of, uh, you know, it helps kind of shine a light on a brighter future for, for the sport, which I feel like we have now. And Buzzy, you can comment on this as well, but I feel like we have, I feel like we have this going forward. I feel like there's a bright future um, and a path forward with the business mindset people that we are are surrounded by now. Yeah, I agree. I I, think, uh, and I think because we have done this together for so long, me and Scott, that we, we know we're learning from our mistakes, and it's only making us stronger as an organization. Uh, we've had so many people that have stayed on our board um, or, or on as officers of our team, and I think they do it because we get it and we love it, but we're learning how to make it better every year. And I think we're really starting to hit our stride right now. Cindy um, and Scott, as an organization, you guys have had, you know, a handful of players represent not just your brand, but go overseas or, or, pay, or play in the IFAF tournament. Um, so like this past year when it was in Vancouver, um, how proud does that make you, uh, you guys where you're taking, you know, one, two, three, four, whatever the number is, and and they're now they're representing the country. I, um, I, I mean, we're extremely proud of them personally. I I think there's so it's another major commitment that they're adding on to their schedule and their lives, and to be able to go over there and and represent our team and our country. I mean, it's 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 something I never thought I would ever see when I started playing football, and to actually just see that happening. I'm proud of the sport and of the women, but to have players on on my team doing it, yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. I mean, I think one of the things that we that that we hear um, from the players that go out and, and experience that is that they get positive feedback about the amount of work that they put in to become good players. And then also their knowledge and understanding of what goes on on the field. Um, I, I think we do a pretty good job of teaching our players uh, that. Um, you know, I've, I've got a great staff that that teaches um, players the game uh, from just you know, an excess that they understand the bigger picture. And I think that that helps them be more successful on the field when they get into situations like that. And um, you know, I can have conversations with players that come back from experiences like that, that, you know, they, they can say, oh, yeah, they did this, this, and this. And, you know, we had a conversation with that coach about, you know, this is kind of how we do it, whatever. I mean, there's it becomes a more football conversation than it is, um, you know, the lights come on and, and, and they, they freeze up. They don't know what to do. They, they, they feel comfortable in the experience because of, how confident they are in um, not only them themselves, but their but their knowledge, not only their physical selves, but their knowledge of the game as well. Now, I know you guys have uh, talented uh, athletes on this team, Scott. Uh, you can name a handful. Some of them are uh, Team USA members as well. 
So um, mm-hmm. who do we, who are we supposed to be looking out for after all these training camps and come March? Um, you know, you got uh, Tolliver, who's been, you know, pretty outstanding as well. Uh, McComas, um, you got a, you got a lot of talented players on your squad from last year with a lot of talent. So who are we looking at at this point? Is it the same core coming back or have we shifted to a brand new uh, squad at this point with uh, people no. leaving or yeah, do we have the same core? Yeah, I won't, I won't give out too many of our, uh, too many of our, our secrets right now. Cause I, you know, I, I, I know that there's a, a coach down in Utah that's probably listening uh, or, he doesn't, or will listen he doesn't to pay this attention. little I have a lot of respect for Coach Rasmussen, <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I know he'll be he'll be listening in or, or we'll get get fed certain information. But uh, no, we have um, we actually have probably 25 to 30 veterans returning from last year, which I think is the most that we've had in um, oh man, probably five years. Um, which is which is great because once you get a veteran core that sticks around for you know a, a number of years, um, their their level of play starts to get elevated um, each year, each season that they play. And then this, I won't comment on the numbers, but this is probably be the biggest rookie class we've had since I've been involved in the organization, um, which is great um, because uh, the the infusion of talent that we get, you know, when, when usually I would say we'll we'll probably have. Uh, let's say 30 to 35 players at the end of the season that are that are contemplating sticking around, and we'll probably lose about 10 to 15 of those every year. So there's a constant turnover of, you know, 10 to 15 rookies that come in, or 20 rookies that come in, and then a core of 15 veterans, 15 to 20 veterans that stick around. To have 25 to 30 veterans stick around this year is unheard of at least since I've been around with the organization. And then to add the number of rookies that we have this year it's going to be a, a big roster and, and I'm super excited about um, the potential of the rookies um, that have been coming out to tryouts and to player workouts on Tuesday nights. Uh, you know, I've seen numbers on our player workouts on Tuesday nights that I never thought we'd see. And it's because they're excited about our organization and what playing means and excited about learning and excited about getting better uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll have a pretty exciting team this year, I think. Cindy, what, what, uh, are you most proud of since you've been CEO? Is it the branding upgrade? Is it, uh, the stability of the team? I mean, what would be something that you point at as, you know, proud of since your tenure as a CEO? I think I'm, I'm obviously most proud of, just the women that come through the the team over the years, you know, like Scott said, you're lucky if you can keep a core, um, but so many pass through. And it, whether they play because – or they stop playing because of money or because of time or because they moved or just because they got out of it what they needed, that year that you spend with them, it, it's amazing to watch them grow from, from the beginning of the season to the end of the season as a player and as a person and to see the bond that they have with these women on the field. But – I would also say beyond that, I'm I'm really proud. And this is going to sound really corny, but I'm really proud of Scott. You know, he's put so much into this team, and I've I played for him when he was a coordinator, and I coached with him as a coordinator, and now he's the head coach. And to be able to coach with him 
and grow with him over the years and see his commitment and how his players play for him and how he's able to keep the coaching staff around him, that's not easy to do in this game because you're asking people to do a lot for nothing. And he just gets people excited. So I'm really proud to see the progression of our, our coaching staff to be able to hold on to coaches year after year. That's also hard to do, and we've been able to do that. So I just think overall we're, we're growing as a team and as an organization because we believe in each other. And, and that's what I'm most proud of. That's awesome. Um, and you have our, our WFA All-Star now. I had to bring her in because we need a, a different perspective and who better to bring her in than somebody that was injured, went through injury, made a comeback, and is hungry for a new season. So that uh, also is part of your organization. So it says a lot. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's good to have. It's, yeah, it's good to have people like Holly out there. I mean, Holly's really well known um, throughout women's football across a number of different players and teams, organizations, owners, what have you. Um, she she's a good voice for the sport. Um, she's a good representation of the sport. We're extremely lucky that we have her um, as as part of our organization, um, and she brings a level of leadership slash responsibility. You know, like a uh, responsibility to what being a veteran player is. Um, and she can, you know, lead by example that way to, to new players that come onto the team, which is, which is great to have. Well, thank you. I try. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know your, your, your year of recovery was not easy. And uh, uh, it, you, you want to talk about a sickening feeling that you have as a coach and you see a player go down to a, an injury like that, um, their major injuries like that just make me sick to my stomach. And um, not not the, the injury itself, it's seeing a player go down to an injury like that um, and know, you know the amount of hard work and the, the amount of time off and the recovery process that they have to go through. Um, but I think what's great about, about Holly is that it really shows her commitment to the game and the commitment to the sport um, that she's worked as hard as she has uh, to, to come back and, um, you know, and get to a level of being a WFL American again, um, or women's football American uh, again. Uh, that's, that's a credit to, to, to Holly's commitment to playing football and continuing to play football. Yeah, I'm probably going to gonna play I've... until I'm 85. <laughs> <laughs> I played uh, against Holly. <laughs> I played against Holly, and now I actually get to coach Holly, and there's probably nobody out there that's hungrier than Holly when she's on the field. So that I love watching that. I love seeing that, that drive and that passion for this game. She has so much respect for the game of football. When she's on the field, that she's in her zone, and I just love that. Yeah, and I, I couldn't ask for anybody better, and that's, why I decided to bring her on and get a perspective. And she's a player and she's obviously a fan of football as well. So um, Cindy, Scott, always great to talk to you guys. Uh, I'm rooting for you guys, um, you know, especially with the changeover, looking to see how the Majestics are going to fare up against Utah, San Diego, Carson, Austin. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to say we're not excited. We're like thrilled for this, IWSL 2018 season. You know what I mean? We're not excited. We're, we're thrilled. I mean, the fact that it's McCarran against Rasmussen, that's just like, what? That's just hype right there. It's like putting it up. He's already called you out, by the way, just to let you know. The guy, in, I have a lot of respect for the guy up north, but we're not coming to lose. That's literally what he said. So, 
Well, you know yeah. what I mean? So I mean, right off the bat, he already knows you're a target <laughs> for him. Well, we're we're certainly uh, we're not forgetting about our our good friends down in San Diego at all. Um, I have I have a ton of respect for uh, their entire coaching staff. I love those guys and and gals down there. Um, they're some of my favorite people in in women's football. Uh, uh, but yeah, if if we if we end up playing Utah in the regular season and or playoffs, uh, it doesn't matter where where we play. We're not showing up to lose either. So. Uh, I, I have a lot of respect for Coach Rasmussen and their staff, and and Hiroko and her husband um, running the Utah organization. Those guys are a class act. Um, we have a lot of conversations with each other. I spoke to Coach Rasmussen a lot over the last few weeks with this Vegas uh, game coming up, and um, yeah, that, that, I'm really excited to get to get to spend some time with uh, with him down in Vegas over the next few days. So, Scott, uh, as he said, might be an issue with all the coaches' mindset being together for the West squad. And then you got people from the East. I guess there, there's a makeshift, a little bit of the West from the East because there's a lack of East players coming over to make the trip. But uh, it's a historic event. It's, uh, it's under a men's spotlight umbrella, which is great. And now you add the women's uh, game to that event in Vegas. So uh, pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it it really is. Um, you know, I I think the the there's really not too many West players. I don't think that are going to be representing the East side. Um, maybe a handful, but um, you know, it, it's it's going to be really cool to see uh, this showcased in the manner that it is. Um, and I I wish that the that the award would have gotten out um, about it a little bit further out so that, um, you know, more, especially on the East side, so that uh, more East players could, could plan to, to make this event. But um, yeah, I, I, I can't, I, I can't tell you how excited the players are, how excited we are as a staff to be going, going down there and being able to represent women's football on a, on a, you know, at least from the semi-pro perspective, I'm, I'm hoping that there'll be a lot of eyes on the players uh, playing this game and that it will open some eyes uh, as well um, to, to a new audience. All right, so Cindy, uh, let's chime out. Uh, where can a player or fan or anybody interact with the team, and uh, what are the social sites that they can visit to um, get involved or know about Seattle Majestics football? Well, we are at uh, theseattlemajestics.com. Uh, it's theseattlemajestics.com. Don't forget that. And we're also on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Just search Seattle Majestics, and you will find us. We are out there. And on Instagram. And Instagram. I always forget about that yeah. one. Yes. We are out there. Just, <laughs> you can get all you can Yeah, Insta- Instagram, all I think, is a little bit more popular now than any other platform in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It's a lot more popular. I think it's because it's kind of like, uh, you know, tell, since they started the tell my story type deal, it's sort of like mm-hmm. Facebook Live, but it's so bold. If, if I want to say yeah, and you can you can also you can also find a bunch of stuff from us on YouTube as well, like a bunch of our previous games, webcast from last yeah. year up on YouTube, some highlight videos, things of that nature. So, yeah, you can you can find us across a multitude of, of different platforms. So Google, Bing, Seattle Majestics Football, or Seattle Majestics, and you pretty much get the links there as well. Um, so guys, one of the thank you for being on up. today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know. 
tell Fernandez she's doing an amazing job. You know, if I can give her a hug or a kiss, I'd do it. Coming from a social media geek over here. Um, but she's done a tremendous <laughs> job. Yeah. And so uh, I applaud her for that. Uh, I know, you know, we had talked about it, uh, direct message on Twitter a long time ago about how things need to change and all that. And um, she has just literally, you know, taken it under her wraps and done a great job. So, I, you know, as an admirer of her work uh, via social mm-hmm. media and everything else, uh, she's done a tremendous job for the brand, for yourselves, and like you said, the, the, the time and effort that's put into it. Uh, she's done really great as well. So I applaud her for that. Um, but you guys have done great, so we're looking forward to, you know, uh, Seattle versus Utah, Seattle versus Austin, Seattle versus San Diego. Should be awesome clashes, and uh, we're mm-hmm. totally excited to see that uh, for the 2018 IWFL season. Well, thank you for having us, and I also want to mention that uh, Rebecca Fernandez also created womensfootballshop.com where you can go buy gear of specifically your favorite Majestics player that I was, that I was talking about before. Um, so, again, it's womensfootballshop.com. Go out and support our There's team, There's also some players. Austin Yellow Jacket stuff up there, too. Yeah, yeah, it's for all women's football. We're going to try to get more teams on there, but that's Rebecca's baby, and, and she's working hard at it. So, yeah. Thank you so much for, yeah, for having us on. This was great. Awesome. Uh, yeah, anytime, uh, Scott, I have told you before, anytime you guys want to uh, get anything out there, um, Holly, we can stay in contact with Holly about anything going on with the team as well. So congratulations sure. on your Under Armour unveil. Congratulations on the social media impact that you guys are doing. And uh, like I said, looking forward to the IWFL uh, 2018 season. So have a great evening. Uh, looking forward to another chat in the season. Absolutely. Yeah, sounds Thank good. You so Thanks, much. Buster. See you soon, Holly. Hey. Custis, right there. Your Majestics. Wow. Uh, they're doing a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff uh, in terms of internally, business mind, and just getting ready for the new season. So, uh, you know, Cindy and Scott just can't say enough. Of, they're awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh... I think the proof is in the in the pudding, like I uh, talked about before. The teams that uh, tend to be great on the field or great off the field as well, they tend to go hand-in-hand hand with women's football. The teams that understand the business side of it tend to do well on the field as well. And um, and I think, uh, I think the organization is proving that. And um, they're working really hard to make sure that we're at the – forefront of the push to progress the sport. So definitely awesome. All right. So Captain America, we get to see you in 2018, and I'm pretty sure Coach Rasmussen uh, will have your number circled as probably one of the threats <laughs> versus the Falcons <laughs> from what we heard last I'm week, just, remember? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm excited, um, you know, to be able to play Utah and San Diego and, and teams like that. Um, it's been a minute, uh, you know, I, I've played teams from Utah my entire career, and when the Falcons played Seattle, um, I was still with Portland, so I wasn't on the Seattle team to play them that year. So there are a few players on the Falcons team that I used to play against when they were on the Jinx way back in the day. So it's been a few years since i played them, and I would love to play them again. Um, and uh, I also really enjoy playing San Diego. So, I mean, as long as I have, and it's nice to switch it up and play different teams, so I'm excited. 
Oh, you think they're going to have you, like, uh, in the locker room with, the, you know, your face and a bullhorn target and just say that's the one we have to look out, watch out for? <laughs> that would be gonna put you... actually pretty – I think that would be pretty so funny. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty awesome, think... right? That's the one you got to stop. I could see that motion on the rookie. See that? That's the one you got to stop. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is um, I'm, like, I'm horrible at trash talking. I'm not a trash talking person. And so if anybody ever tries to trash talk with me in the middle of a game, most of the time I just block it out because I block everything out. But if I do hear it, most of the time it just makes me laugh. And so if I heard that they had, like, some sort of, like, dartboard or something, I think I would just think it was hysterical. But, um, you know, it's one of those things that I'm just excited. I mean, these are really good teams. The Utah team has built up a great program. It's always been great, and I'm I'm just excited to play. All right. So, Holly, um, let's go from Majestics to uh, Down Under, and let's talk about this weekend's big matchup that's going to happen in Gridiron, Queensland, live on live stream this Friday, which technically for us is uh, Friday, Saturday night. But uh, Christy Moran, Chrissy Torres, the Bayside Ravens, 9-1, and one, they are going to go ahead and take on the Griffith Thunder with Amanda Ayers, and you got uh, um, Cassie Cubis as well out there, the receiver. So um, this is a clash. The uh, Thunder, we talked about it, they get here, uh, you know, week to week. The last three weeks have been tough for them. They, they had a forfeit, then they win two games in a row. They make it to the semifinals, and they upset the champ, last year's champs, Gold Coast Stingrays and um, uh, Lauren Evans and Kenesha Sims out there. And now they get to play for the big prize. So uh, we talked about how you know it's, a t- it's been a tougher road for the Thunder, in other words, versus the, the Ravens. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how that, that game plays out. Um, it's streaming this Friday, correct? Yeah, this Friday. Okay. Well, I'll be in Vegas. I don't know if I'll have a chance to watch it, but I think, um, you know, it would be an awesome game to watch. And um, uh, it, it, I hope that they, they stream it in a way that it's saved so I can watch it later because – I think they, they have a lot of talent on both sides, for sure. No, it'll be live-streamed, and it will be saved, from what I'm told. Good. So live-streaming starts. Uh, our time is going to be after midnight, I think, like 2 in the morning, okay. yeah, our I'll be, time. I'll be, in, I'll be in bed, because the so, game, I need to be at the field at, like, six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, so I'll be in bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, um, it's going to be pretty much, uh, you know, it's going to be live-streamed, no matter what. So it's a Sun Bowl all three games, the men's, the juniors, and the women's, it's going to be uh, broadcast uh, via live stream. The link will be on our Twitter and our Facebook page is already linked up for that for Friday. But um, but the attitude's right there, right? They've upset goal. They upset the Stingrays where nobody thought they would be able to do it. And all of a sudden they play a great game against the uh, Gold Coast Stingrays and they upset and bounce off the champs. And so now yeah, uh, it's a bigger hurdle here because now they're taking on the best team since in this season, which is Bayside with, uh, you know, MVP uh, pretty much Christy Moran, who played for the Chicago Force and the WFA as an all-star, and, and she played for the national team in the IFA World Championships. And now she's back, and she's looking for a Sun Bowl championship. 
you're on a roll and definitely you want to have momentum going into a big game like that. And so that will definitely help. But I think it's going to be a, a grudge match. I think this is going to be, you know, back and forth and a really good quality game. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll be definitely watching it when I get back home for sure. I think the Thunder knows what what they're expecting. Uh, they're probably going to expect a big fight because they got that against Stingrays. Stingrays pretty much at that level. And now you have the run game plus the pass game, and the and the base side de- uh, defense is pretty good. So they're up they're up against a juggernaut even bigger than what they were against uh, I think uh, the Stingrays. So it's going to be very exciting to watch. I'm looking forward to the results there. Congratulations to the Thunder for making it this far. And obviously, uh, Bayside returns after a two-year absence here. In 2015, they lost to Gold Coast. And now uh, they have, obviously, their running back, Christy Moran, which should be able to get them over the hump. But uh, that's why they got to play the games on Friday to see if it's going to happen. Um, Holly, will you be surprised and shocked if the Thunder pull it off, beating Gold Coast, and if they end up taking down Bayside? I wouldn't be shocked. I think it would definitely be a huge win, but, I mean, in order to even get to this point, you have to be a solid team, and I I, I would not be surprised. I think it would be a a small upset, but I don't think think I'd be, you know, seeing anybody rolling in their grave if it happened because I think both teams have talent, and when both teams have talent, anything can happen on, on any given day. So, really, it's just a matter of, playing out the game and seeing what happens. All right. The other news we have is we got to give congratulations to Savannah Milton over in uh, NLR uh, football in Arkansas. Her team is going to the finals, the state finals. And uh, she had, she was seven for seven in the last matchup against Conway. They literally tore up Conway 49, I think to 14. Uh, They were just litting it up uh, all game. So congratulations to her. And then uh, we've got to give a shout-out to Lave Tobar out of Del Valle, the Conquistadors. She went to the um, regional finals. Unfortunately, her team lost in the regional finals, but she had a great season. You can catch her huddle highlights on our Twitter feed um, and check it out. She had a great season there as well. So two young ladies that are doing amazing uh, playing on a boys team, and they're playing on championship squads. Yeah, I, I mean, anytime we get – uh, uh, young girls that, that are playing and playing at that kind of level, it's going to bode well for the sport because in order for the, the sport to survive long term, we need to develop uh, our youth. And more and more young girls are playing, and the more successful they are, the easier it will be for the generations after them to come along and can play even further. And hopefully by the time they get to uh, adulthood, they're they're going to understand that there's other opportunities to play uh, no matter where they are uh, across the globe. Um, so it's exciting stuff. And I, I might add, these uh, young ladies are also big-time soccer players, elite-style soccer players. So that tells you a lot about their kicking skills. Yeah, a lot of um, players that I've played with who – have been great kickers, uh, tend to come from soccer. Um, you know, generally when you're playing a lot of soccer, uh, it develops a lot of leg strength. It teaches you how to kick. It's a different style kick when you're kicking a football compared to a soccer ball. 
So there's usually an adjustment period, but once they get kind of the steps down and the rhythm and the angles down, um, you know, they, most of them have a lot of power in their legs. So it's just a matter of developing the technique. So, yeah, for sure. All right. Um, Great out in New South Wales. This, uh, the quarterfinals, December 2nd, I believe. Yeah, uh, it's going to be Act Diamonds taking on UTS Gators, and it's going to be the champion UNSW Raiders uh, versus the uh, NS, uh, Northwestern Phoenix. And uh, winner of those two, uh, both well, the winner of those t- uh, those matchups will then go to the final, which is the Opal final. And I believe that's going to be in the middle of December. So we'll keep you updated on Twitter on the results coming up here on December second. Lexfa Week Six has been finalized. The playoffs are going to be matched up. So we'll keep you updated on Facebook and on Twitter via Lexfa on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, FX FX Mexico as well. Uh, final weekend in the playoffs, Division One, by uh, Vikingas literally rebound after a slump in the early season. They come back, and now they're pretty strong. Champions looking for another title run here. Uh, Merindians also in the, in, the, uh, in the hunt, and you've got the Lobos as well. And uh, so we're going to be keeping tabs on that. So it's FX Mexico on tabs on that. And uh, congratulations this past weekend to the uh, Adacia Vienna Vikings up in Aust- Austria who won their 15th uh, championship in the Austrian League, and they, uh, they, get, they beat 27-0 the Danube Dragons, which they had beaten the Danube Dragons in the final regular season game, 32-0. So congratulations to the Dacia Vienna Vikings out in Austria. Yeah, that's phenomenal. I mean, anytime you're able to win a championship, it, it's, it's an amazing feeling. And if they've been that good for that long, it, it tells you a lot about their program. Because in order to be that good that long, you have to retain talent and you have to recruit talent. Um, so congratulations to them for sure. Yeah, so it's an exciting season. Uh, the Vikings finish up strong, and they uh, obviously uh, they shut out the newbie. The newbie heartbreaking. They got shut out in the regular season final, and then obviously they they win against uh, I believe it was the Budapest Wolves, but uh, they just could not. Stay in you know in competition with uh, the the champs, um, the Vikings, uh, the Vikings, the Vikings out of uh, Vienna. So we're looking forward to another season going there. Uh, Baffa Women uh, Sapphire Series should be coming up here in the next couple months. You got LFL tryouts starting December second through the middle of December plus January. Keep tabs on that on our Twitter feed on local teams. You also have WFA and IWFL tryouts all throughout the nation as well. And so everybody's doing, uh, getting geared up for January and February. So, Holly, January and February, kind of a real focus month because now everybody, uh, when the season ends, they sort of like just take a month off and then everybody's kicking back into trying to get tryouts and doing fundamentals and getting everybody in shape and then finally getting to the true tryouts come January and February. Yes, usually... Um, with women's football, that uh, you know the WFA and the IWFL, the, the leagues are playing in the spring. The the fall is normally like tryout season, and so every team does it differently. Some you know just do one giant tryout, some do multiple tryouts, um, and then usually teams will start practice in January or February around there. And um, you know, with our team, uh, one of the things that uh, Scott and Butts brought up is our team. I've done a great job of 
basically coming together uh, uh, for off-season workouts, and they do it twice a week, Tuesday and Thursday nights, and it's not mandatory, but a lot of people have been going, and it's just an opportunity to get together and get better. Unfortunately, it conflicts completely with um, my podcast slash physical therapy schedule, so I've been playing basketball instead on Saturdays with a bunch of them. Uh, yeah. But uh, a lot of other teams will do stuff like that. They'll have off-season workouts. They'll get together, uh, you know, with uh, some local teammates around them and, and just try to stay in shape. And something I learned a long time ago is, you know, when off-season, when the season ends and in June, July, it's really easy to just be like, I need a complete break. I want to do nothing for a long time. But what happens is you have to make sure you regulate because it is a lot easier to stay in shape than it is to fall out of shape and get back into shape before you start playing again. And so I think people are, are, are pretty smart about that now. And so you'll see a lot of teams that will have workout groups like we do in the off season. Uh, but yeah, January is usually when it starts heating up, um, and uh, as teams get ready for the season. Yeah, I also want to mention uh, the LFL Euro Euro Tour will kick off in January, January twentieth, and that's going to be in Poland. And they're doing sort of a WWE type tour uh, where they're going to three uh, three different countries and they're playing over six games, and they're sponsored by Black Energy Drinks. So that's going to be pretty much in Europe. And then they get ready for, obviously, their their season in April, just like the WFA and the IWFL. So um, going to, I believe, their 10th season or 11th season now in that league as well. So, um, Holly, let's jump into uh, what's happening here with uh, college football. Thanksgiving weekend was not very kind to uh, – certain teams in atop the college playoff rankings. Uh, so things began on Friday when number two Miami lost to Pitt. And then uh, it continued on Saturday when Auburn pulled up the upset of Alabama, which you and Troy talked about, that it could happen. And here we are. It did happen. Yeah. Um, I would like to point out that uh, I believe Troy and I, you know, um, picked that uh, Auburn win, and then I also called uh, Miami uh, possibly losing to Pittsburgh. And you're right, this is last weekend was chaos. So Auburn, the Auburn-Alabama game was a great, great game. Always a great game between those two teams because they're, they're rivals, they absolutely hate each other, it's, and they're usually both good teams. And so Auburn is a team that's beaten two number one teams in the past couple of weeks here. And they had a loss, but they're, they're also, they have some great wins on their resume, so to speak. And they've played their way into the SEC title game against Georgia. And that is going to be a really great game. And basically, in my opinion, that the winner of that game is going to be in the playoffs and uh, in, in the final four in the playoffs. So basically a win in your end situation for whoever wins that game. Um, and Miami, I think, is a really great team. They're kind of a team of destiny this year, but they're also, I think, really young. And they, I think, not – I don't think they quite look past Pittsburgh, but I don't think they were very sharp. 
fast, um, and they didn't run the ball well. So Malik uh, Rozier, their quarterback, uh, ended up being 15 for 34, 187 yards. It was kind of rough in the air, but he ended up with two touchdowns. But the team, besides the, the rushing yards that Malik got, only had 14 total rushing yards as a team, and that is not going to win you a lot of ball games. And so Miami gets another chance, though, because they play Clemson in their championship game this weekend. So if they're able to beat Clemson, they might play themselves back into the playoffs and be okay. Um, but, yeah, that was that was a really interesting game. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens this weekend. So scenario is this. Um, Alabama needs a little help. Uh, well, it watches from home this week, right? Pretty much as, as it stands right now. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to pull up because the playoff uh, committee actually just they release um, their new playoff uh, standings every Tuesday at seven. So they just released it. Right now they have Clemson number one, and then they have Auburn number two, Oklahoma is number three, Wisconsin's number four, and so Clemson. Um, uh, they play Miami this weekend, and then Auburn plays Georgia. Alabama is not in the championship game, but they're sitting at number five. So Alabama is rooting for chaos. And one of the things that would really help Alabama is Wisconsin, who is at number four, plays Ohio State, who is number eight. And Ohio State, if they beat Wisconsin, all hell, like, breaks loose because then Wisconsin would have one loss, and then you would basically have uh, maybe three or four teams with one loss and then maybe three or four teams with two losses that all have legit uh, gripes to try to get into the playoffs, and I think it would just create chaos. So Alabama really wants chaos so that they can try to backdoor their way in, Um, or they at least want um, maybe Miami beating Clemson. uh, because It gets a little tricky because – Miami might beat Clemson, and then the committee might think, well, Miami has one loss and they beat Clemson, so maybe they jump up above Alabama. So then it, it just gets really dicey. So we really are not going to know anything until the end of this um, weekend, which is what made college football great because it is going to be chaos until the very end. Holly, uh, the way you're bringing that up in my head, I'm envisioning you doing some sort of chalkboard like on a dry board, and you're, like, tapping on the side over here, and you're, like, this is over here, and that's number one, number two, and you're in the circle, and then you're running the arrow this way. and it just, it's, You know what I mean? It's, like, literally a visual confusion. It's, like, I want to raise my hand. Can, can you slow down can I, so I can take notes and oh, tell me I, you know what? where I've, we start? I've been doing this for, for a minute. I forget that, that you're more NFL-based than, than college. No, no, but I'm, just... what I'm saying is to an average fan like myself, and you're you're speaking true. Everything that you're saying is yeah. like right on point. But for me and other people, we're like, what the hell did you just say? Like, what happened? What? Who gets what? So what drama? Yeah, basically. No, I I know what you I know what you're getting. Yeah, basically the regular season is done now, and now we're into the conference championship game. And so, really, you probably have a good eight or nine teams that are still in a running for four spots. And so, is this like the Bachelor, where the guy has to choose like yeah. four or five of them, and he has to kind of mingle with each one to figure out who's going to be the bright? It's like the Bachelor. 
that would be an interesting bachelor episode. It's like <laughs> it's it's a little bit different. It's okay, so let's imagine you have like you have like ten contestants. You have ten yeah, women yeah. on the stage and you have four roses to give out. But <laughs> half those half those women, let's say six of those ten, they have to battle it out. And the other four just like stand by and watch because they're done. And the other six are battling it out in individual, like, bouts. I don't know what this would look like. And then you have to decide. It would be a mess. Okay, if it's between women, that would not be fun. <laughs> do I give oh. the rose to this lady who just beat that lady? Or this lady hasn't played in a minute, but she looks really cute, so maybe I give her a rose. Oh. So it's really confusing. And I, it's confusing for me half the time, and I'm really into it. So No, I, I know. God, I'm trying to just envision that part, like on the stage, <laughs> six people batting it out and pulling it out for one guy. It's ridiculous, but it's a trophy, so I guess you got to want the trophy if you want to get to the end there. Um, all right. And so, once, you get Holly, to the, once you get to the playoffs, though, the final four, yeah. then it, then it just plays itself out. And, it, and yeah, yeah, in my yeah. opinion, I think we need to get to a six or maybe an eight team playoff and you would still get confusion at the end but sure. the more that we can just prove it on the field the better <laughs> alright so no one else seems to have a a realistic chance beyond the four technically right Could two loss, a two loss big 12 champion TCU if it beats Oklahoma this week uh, which we probably don't think they will but that would mean Oklahoma and TCU uh, would split their season series right and that would be the frogs from my notes that I got here uh, the quality wins uh, from what uh, Oklahoma, right? Contender Auburn. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got an 11-2 Pac-12 champion USC. Uh, I don't even think they're in, probably in the mix at this point, right? We talked about that a while back, but the Pac-10 is pretty much out. Yeah. yeah. I think basically, in my opinion, you have like eight teams vying for four spots because oh, okay. TCU. I think PCU, if they beat Oklahoma, it would be a great win, but I don't think they have enough bounce behind the rest of their resume to push themselves up. Um, I think Ohio State is is probably the barrier team where if Ohio State beats Wisconsin, I think they could sneak in as a two-loss team. I think Auburn has earned their way into that conversation just because they keep beating really high-level teams. And so if Auburn beats Georgia, they deserve to be there. And the only other team I can see being in the playoffs with two losses is Ohio State. Um, I, I I think the Clemson Miami game is a little dicey. But honestly, if Ohio State wins, it's going to create a whole bunch of chaos. And, you know, on the one hand, it's great. On the other hand, it's, it's, it's really tough because the football purist in me wants to just play it all on the field. But then the chaos is what makes college football great because it, it started out, you know, you had um, – in AP Top 25, and it was the pollsters who decided who was number one and who was number two, and nobody, there was no championship game. Everybody would play in a bowl game, and they would just the, – the, the writers and the coaches would just decide who the number one team was. And then we had the BCS system, and then we had the, the college football uh, playoff system. And it's not done yet. I, I would imagine in the next, like, 
10, 15 years or so, there's going to be changes to it still. Um, but the fact that there is that Bachelor reality TV thing going on with college football is what makes it so different and exciting. You don't really get that in other sports. No, you don't. And that gives you a headache. And so you need some mitral or you need some Advil or something. Because it gets to that stage late in the season where you're like, you know, having a headache and everything like that. So, um, so the big games to focus on, Holly, would be what Clemson, Miami, which face off in the ACC title. And you got Georgia and Auburn from the uh, SEC. Yeah, I would say I would say the the big two, in my opinion, would be the, the Clemson, Miami, and then the Ohio State. Uh, and Wisconsin games are the big two that are really going to decide the, the playoffs. Um, you know, in the Pac-12, you have uh, Stanford and USC, which is a, a rematch game. That's still going to be a really good game. And honestly, I think the Pac-12 is a really good conference this year. And you have you have Washington, Washington State, Stanford, and USC. There are four really good teams. They just beat each other up to the point where they're – we don't have, like, a favorite team that's, like, the sexy pick for the um, committee to really pick. I think if even if Stanford beats US, uh, or USC beats Stanford or Stanford beats USC, I don't think it's going to be enough to get one of them into the, the playoffs. And then you have Memphis playing uh, UCF, and I think uh, for the uh, athletic conference championship, that will be a fun game, but that's not going to be playoff relevant. Uh, TCU versus Oklahoma. Um, I don't. I think it'll be a good game, but if TCU wins, um, I don't think it does much for them. Oklahoma would really want a solid style point filled win um, to solidify the playoff seating. And but really, it it's a uh, oh I almost forgot. How could I forget Georgia and Auburn? Those three games: Georgia and Auburn, Clemson, Miami, Ohio State, Wisconsin. Between those three games. That's how the, the playoff seeding is going to going to play out, um, and so if it's easier to think about, think of it as a playoff to get into the playoffs. So between yeah. those three games, it's going to shake everything out. All right, so it's it's kind of like you know it's unraveling and 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 sort of like a reset to focus on only a certain handful of teams now going forward. So. Um, pretty, so it's pretty much. Very exciting. Yeah, it's sort of like you know unraveling a little bit, and then okay, now we're refocused, and here's the here's the last you know the final four basically, like you do in basketball, pretty much. Here's your final four going in. Um, so it's it's gonna be exciting uh, to watch this weekend as things kind of you know work themselves out. Uh, we were talking NFL prior to uh, college football here. Um, let's find out here. Let's go in here. Let's do uh, let's go power rankings here because it's late in the season and now we really need to focus. Uh, we Case Keenum beat the Rams. Um, the Vikings have been atop of the North, given that uh, the Hunley um, led Packers, the horrible Bears, and the Stafford led uh, Lions, pretty much aren't really you know, doing that great in this late of the season with the push that they need to push. But other than that, uh, let me just start off by saying the Cleveland Browns have been eliminated from the playoffs. So if anybody <laughs> didn't know that, let's just make sure everybody's <laughs> on top of that. <laughs> Sorry, just had to throw it out there. That's the way it is. You know what I mean? So they're one in yeah. twenty six under Hugh Jackson. So that's got to be that's got to say something about 
Hugh Jackson right there. Um, let's see here. What do you say about that, Holly? The Browns are no longer in the well, playoffs. The, the Browns are the Browns, and the problem yeah. with the Browns is they have they have a cultural problem. Basically, you know, the Browns basically are where quarterbacks go to die, and I think really you have to you have to have a change from the top down, and they have some young talent there. You know, I don't think Kaiser is actually that bad of a quarterback. I don't know if he's the future guy. But as far as the other quarterbacks, you know, I don't even know how many they've had in the last, like, 15 years, like 40 quarterbacks or something. However many quarterbacks they've had, he's actually not too bad. It's just that they have a couple young pieces, and then that's it. They don't have anything else. The cupboard's pretty bare. And I think they also need a culture change. Um, You know, they need a new identity. They need uh, a couple of players that they can build around that can be the, the face of their franchise, and they need a, a shift in their their mental uh, state there because, you know, it's kind of it, it's kind of historical. If you have a team that's used to losing, they find ways to lose, and the Browns need to find ways to win, and they're they're not there yet. All right, so Holly. The Jimmy Garoppolo era begins in Niner country. What a bold statement there. Yay. Last play I'm of the game, excited. touchdown. That was like Brady-like right there. We're not, we're not dead. We're going to score on you. Uh, so it was really nice to see that. I saw the play. I'm like, oh, he's going to take, take a nail, and then it didn't happen. But he did have a good drive prior to that. So uh, what's your feelings on Garoppolo taking over the the, the quarterback's I um I think I think it's awesome. Um I also heard they're gonna start him this weekend and I don't think it's anything against CJ. I think CJ has actually done pretty well for working and considering, you know, what's been put on him. The the difference between C J and Garoppolo is I think poise. So when C J would drop back and he would get pressure up the middle, uh, in his face, he would kind of freak out a little bit and kind of throw it into the dirt and not know what to do. And then he would occasionally make a really good play. So he's just a rookie kind of getting his footing. Or Garoppolo has been sitting behind Brady forever. And when he got that pressure in his face, he was able to, you know, step away from it, roll around and make a play and not kind of panic. And I think there's a huge difference between those two. And I think also, the Niners, I, I was really confused as to why we didn't start him to begin with, but I think they were trying to not hurt CJ's confidence maybe. But yeah. we need to find out what we have with Garoppolo because he's only on a one-year contract. And mm-hmm. they said that they might franchise him next year. However, even if they did that, you want to know what you have in him because you want to know what you need to do for the draft and for the free agency. You, you need to know if you need to make a move and get another quarterback. And so He's a, uh, similar to Matt Ryan in some ways in a pocket presence, mm-hmm. but he also has the uh, – he's able to get out of the pocket. So I think Kyle yeah. really needs that type of – that versatile type of quarterback. And like you said, yeah. with your key point, which is he's sitting behind a Belichick system, which Kyle, yeah, I, uh, if I you look at the Atlanta right. Falcons from last year, that fits his – style, you know what I mean, of coaching. I, I think you're you're absolutely right. Garoppolo, that poise he has is very Matt Ryan-like. There's a reason why 
everybody would call Matt Ryan, you know, Matty Ice because he has, he has like ice in his veins. Like he doesn't panic and neither does Garoppolo. And I, I feel for Garoppolo because he's been sitting like <laughs> he's been sitting um, in New England and just sitting on the shelf. And I'm sure the guy wants to play, you know what I mean? Like, I understand it, it's great to not have to put your body on the line and get paid like millions of dollars, but at some point you're a competitive athlete and you want to play. And New England was, you know, using him like a chess piece, which is what they always do with their players. And they realized they just couldn't get that uh, last deal inked with him and decided, okay, now's the time to, to move this piece. And, um, you know, I think – I don't know if he's going to be the, the franchise guy, but he's the best option that we've had, you know, since Kaepernick kind of fell off. And yeah. and I'm excited because I think he actually gives us a chance to win now. And, you yeah. know, the defense has some has some solid pieces up front, especially. And, and what was happening, uh, you know, in this last game and the first time we played the Seahawks and a lot of uh, our other games that we lost this year – in the first half, our defense would actually play really good, and then they would get worn down because our offense couldn't maintain any drives. And then, you know, a two-yard pickup would turn into, like, eight yards, and then it would bust free, and then all of a sudden the game's out of hand or we're not able to score enough points to stay in the game. And I think with Garoppolo in, we'll be able to stay on the field more on offense, which will help our defense in turn. So we we definitely have holes in various places, but I think I'm excited to see what he can do this weekend and, and see if he might be the guy. All right. So, Holly, we got, uh, what, seven minutes here. Let's run down some of these teams in contention here. Uh, the Ravens continue to win despite their horrible play of Joe Flacco. So their defense is basically the reason that they're winning. That's one aspect of it. Buffalo with their, you know, do we start Ty, uh, Tyrod Taylor? You win. The game wasn't pretty, but you win, uh, so it's a win. So there's issues there. Uh, Denver completely hasn't won since October. There you go. The Lions uh, played the Vikings tough, but they couldn't hang in, in with the Vikings for four quarters. Uh, and we're talking about middle-of-the-road teams here that are trying to get into maybe a position with wild card. Uh, I think the Jaguars have disappointed me uh, because they're they're up and down, up and down, up and down, and they're not consistent. That's another team. Um, let's talk uh, Seattle. Let's go with Seattle right here. Uh, they played your Niners on the road, and so uh, Russell Wilson literally put them uh, the the Seahawks on his back against San Francisco. So uh, what does it say about the Seattle status right now into playoff mode? Well, Seattle's going to go as far as Russell goes. Um, unfortunately for Russell, he's basically having to take the team on his back. And I, I don't know how sustainable that is long-term, but they still really have no running game. And so it puts a lot of pressure on him. And Seattle is very fortunate that Russell is so good at getting out of trouble. And because if he wasn't, because I can't tell you how many times like, I watched this man you know, and I'm like, he should be down about five times in one play, and somehow he gets out of it, and they're the first down, the ball went, and you're like, what the hell? How did he do that? And if he didn't have that ability, Seattle would be completely screwed. I'm just being frank. They don't have a running game. Um, 
and their defense is up and down. They have a lot of talent on the defensive front, but that talent's getting older. Their secondary can't stay healthy, and even when they can stay healthy, they're not cohesive, and they're, they're vulnerable on the defensive side. And their schedule gets tougher in the next couple of weeks here. And so they can, they can still make the playoffs, but they're going to have to play their, they're going to have to play their way in. And it's not going to be easy. I think the Rams are, are the better team in the division. I think the Rams will take the division. So I think the Seahawks are fighting for a wild card spot and their loss to Atlanta is really going to hurt them. They're going to have to uh, regain that ground. doesn't mean they can't do it, but it's going to be an uphill battle for them. Now, Pittsburgh uh, had struggles against this past week uh, against the Packers, um, and the Packers played pretty well. And lo and behold, you know, uh, Antonio Brown bails them out pretty much, and Oswell bails them out. But the overall, they're 9-2. and two. Um, So at this point, are they going to rely on Brown? Is that is that their weapon? Because it's been their weapon since the last couple weeks. I think that was actually a really good game. Um, I think that... Yeah, you're right. I think Antonio Brown is the best receiver in the game, hands down. I mean, I really like him as a player because he just he just plays and and he doesn't really he's not really a huge prima donna like a lot of the star receivers are. He just plays and he makes amazing plays and they're, and he they're definitely relying on him. And what I think they need to make sure to do. In the playoff setting, is to make sure that Bell is consistent. They need consistent run game to help, um, you know, uh, then have time to get the ball to Antonio. Uh, but, you know, the Packers actually didn't play too bad. Uh, Hundley is Mr. Inconsistent. You know, he went 17 for 26, uh, 245 yards, three TDs, and then he's establishing – a new connection with uh, Devontae Adams seems to be his new favorite receiver. Um, and so that guy's stepping up. But then Hungry will, like, make a bad decision. And you're just like, what was he doing? Um, but all in all, it was a solid effort by the Packers. And the Steelers, I mean, if you're going to be a, a Super Bowl contending team, you have to know how to win those type of games where not everything goes your, goes your way. The Steelers aren't my, like, favorite going – into the playoffs as far as play, um, Super Bowl contention, but I definitely think um, they're good enough to get to the AFC Championship game for sure. All right, so we're looking at uh, week, I believe, 14 in the NFL, and then we got the college football playoff picture that's coming up, and uh, we got the championship in Gridiron, Queensland, uh, Bayside Ravens taking on the Griffith United Thunder. It's going to be a great matchup there this, past, this, uh, this coming weekend on Friday. So live streams on Twitter, you can catch it on Facebook, as well as all the action in college football and the NFL. So uh, thanks to Scott McCarron and uh, Cindy Butts-Howden from the uh, Seattle Majestics for coming on to the show and talking Seattle Majestics football. And uh, Troy Wilson will be here next week as well, so we'll talk more college football playoffs. Holly, it's a, uh, like you said, it's going to be uh, separation now. It's really who's going to be in the top four in college football. So it's really exciting. It is really exciting. And, um, you know, I'll be uh, checking my phone as I'm down in Vegas trying to figure out what the scores are to see what's going on because, yeah, this is where it gets really fun for sure. 
All right. So uh, for Holly Custis um, and Troy Wilson, Oscar Lopez saying uh, subscribe to our Apple podcast or follow us right here on Block Talk Radio. Check us out on Twitter at Gridiron Beauty. Check us out on Facebook at Gridiron Beauty so you can stay on top of everything happening. We will update the Lexfa FX Mexico scores as well as LFB and FXL for Mexico as well on our Facebook page. So uh, we'll catch you here next week on The Blitz right here on Apple Podcasts and Block Talk Radio. Have a great evening, everybody. Good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.